0: You can support this podcast on Patreon. Our Patreon supporters receive a wide range of benefits, including written content and access to our exclusive databases, including our 2020 FBS team profiles, which are updated daily based on injury news, position battles, playing time, and other info. Available in Tier 2 and up. Visit patreon.com slash Winning Edge to learn more.
1: Welcome back to CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports and I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for all of you looking on Twitter. But Nick, uh, hard to stay positive. Lots of craziness happening in college football. It seems like Uh, You know, I I see everyone making the comparison of, uh, you know, college football is as divided uh, in this country as politics are. And, um, you know, we had some major announcements of the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Mountain West and the MAC, all delaying their seasons until the spring. And the other conferences all seem like they want to go. So there's definitely some weirdness. Uh, the best possible scenario is it could mean college football pretty much all year long <laughs> this year, uh, co- starting in a month. But um, it, it's 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 very very strange, and obviously there are strange times that we're living in, and you know, uh, college football is no uh, exception to that rule.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it was uh, really really strange yesterday. We we're recording on Wednesday, and so uh what it was uh, three or something in the afternoon uh eastern time yesterday when we found out officially that the big 10 was going to cancel and then it seemed like what within the hour or, or you know not not much longer uh after the pack 12 followed but of course you know the mac and mountain west like you mentioned it already uh canceled but you know i think that the The fact that we got two power five conferences sort of maybe it it felt more real than it did prior, even though we had heard a lot of whispers, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, leaks, I guess, that that this was uh, potentially coming. And uh, so it wasn't a shock. But when it actually, you know, we officially saw it uh, on the Big, Big Ten Network it sort of hit home a little bit. I think everybody was a, a little bit stunned for a little while. And and uh, so it'll, it'll definitely take some getting used to, I mean, by, you know, we, if we include UConn, UMass and Old Dominion, who also uh, have canceled their seasons, that's by my count 53 of the 130 uh, FBS teams that have officially canceled. And and like you said, a lot of uh, conferences, especially the, you know, the, the, ACC and SEC. And, and we found out today, the big 12, when they le- release their schedule uh, officially uh, are going to give it a go and, and we'll see what happens, but it, it certainly is, certainly is strange. And I guess I'm somewhat fortunate that I haven't had a, a ton of time to think about it because I've been trying to update all these schedules so quickly and trying to finalize, <laughs> uh, you know, team stat projections, which seems like a little bit of a waste of time, but it's good practice at least. But uh so I've, I've been trying to keep busy, I guess, to to avoid getting uh, too, too down in the dumps, too too depressed <laughs> for sure.
1: But, uh, uh, but well, if, is it going to yeah, make you more right. mad if you do all these schedule changes and then there's uh, like you've done all this work for the schedule changes and then they cancel again? Like, is that going to make you mad or are you going to be like, all right, well, whatever, you know?
0: It'll be more whatever. I'm I'm. I'm pretty much over the schedule changes. <laughs> they they do suck. <laughs> they uh, they take uh I wouldn't say valuable time, but they they take more time than I would prefer. I've I've got a couple of things I need to do to be able to uh, make the process a, a tiny bit quicker in the future, but uh yeah, I'm I'm hopefully we're coming to the end of the schedule changes. It was almost uh, sad as it sounds a relief when old Dominion just flat out canceled. Cause then I could just highlight delete instead of like, <laughs> move this, move that, make sure yeah. this equation's going here and all that crazy stuff. So, uh, you know, it's, it's strange. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't think I'll be, um, I don't think it's necessarily time wasted, especially like the, yeah. the uh, stat projections and stuff like that. I mean, the work I'm doing now will will pay off at some point down the line. And hopefully it'll be somewhat helpful this year in, in some way. You know, if we get a uh, the, the games we do get, maybe there'll be some player props or some uh, DFS int- interest or, or uh, what have you so that, that we can provide a little bit of value uh, for our, our followers and our patrons. This year, but, uh, you know, if worse comes to worse, uh, things will be a lot easier in 2021.
1: Yeah. And there's, uh, there's always going to be a lot to talk about. Like, even if there's no games, there's always moving pieces. Uh, there's always, you know, a, a coach moving or players transferring or, you know, just a more in-depth look at rosters and, coaching history so we're gonna have stuff to talk about here well like we don't have a lack of topics that's for sure it's just keep trying to keep up with the current news right before the season starts it you know during the pandemic it's just a hard and xavier you know four conferences canceling their season until the spring is a tough pill to swallow for any college football fan
2: yeah yeah uh, obviously you want to see college football play you know uh, there's a whole lot of fans who won't be able to watch their team in the next couple months. Um, and obviously it was a little bit, you know, a little bit pessimistic to see this happen. Uh, but I'm going to stay on the optimistic side of this. Uh, hey, we might get two two seasons now. <laughs>
1: that's All what I said. That,
2: that's
1: yeah. yeah. the spirit.
2: I, All right. People hate me now because I don't go out and hang out with them on the weekends because of college football. Now you're going to miss <laughs> me for two straight seasons? Oh, This is, this is lovely. Uh, so I, I think I'm going to stay cautiously optimistic right now. I think that right now the idea that you know college football is doomed to hell I think is a little bit of a stretch just yet because I really feel like the commissioners uh, for the remaining conferences are stubborn enough to run it through to, to at least see what happens. Uh, and, and I think that we have to at least stay, stay a little bit positive and stay a little bit optimistic with that. Um, I think ultimately that's where we're headed, and I don't see any of the conferences wavering at this point barring any, you know, crazy statistics or anything that come out in the next couple of weeks or so.
1: Yeah. And I know and it's tough to know, uh, where to stand on on this stuff, you know, because the players want to play, uh, the universities for the most part want to be, uh, that they, they would like to play, but I think more than anything, especially the ones that already have bowed out, they don't want to face crazy lawsuits. Should a, uh, it should an outbreak happen on their campus right so uh, it, it, it's it's understandable from every direction like you know uh universities want to get the money that they're promised from these tv contracts we we understand that it, and it's a business so uh, that is a big part of it um you know there are we've already had players opting out so that looked negative uh you know we we heard this medical reports of uh how do you say it? my myocarditis is the the big reason it's a underlying heart condition that can crop up for people after having COVID. Um, but then I read that you can get that after the flu. You know what I mean? I mean, the flu isn't going around like coronavirus is, but you know, so, so it's hard to know where to stand, who to agree with. So for me, and I think for most college football fans, I, I just, I'm just taking the news as it comes. Not I don't have a rooting interest either way. You know what I mean? It's if college football gets played, Awesome. I would love to see it. If college football doesn't get played, I understand. We're in the middle of a pandemic. So I think we just have to be a little fluid right now. And college football may look weird if, uh, you know, maybe another conference or two bows out. But the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC stay, you know, how do we crown a champion? Like, that's a big question. Do we crown a champion from the fall season and the spring season. Do we have a split national title? Uh, You know, I know Xavier wants that. And then a summer game. Yes. Half those guys are going to go to the NFL for the, uh, you know, who most likely. (laughs) And by the way, the Rockies scored two runs here. uh, Xavier. (laughs) So we were talking about this baseball game off air. And I've been talking about this on different shows. People are gonna be able. if People listen to everything I do. They're gonna be able to piece together what is going on because I recorded a football show during this game, a baseball <laughs> show during this game, and now a college football show during this game. And the Diamondbacks have been up and down here, but um, anyway, it, it's uh, it's a weird year. I think we just have to kind of roll with the punches, right, Nick? And it's it's hard to say that, and it's even harder to do. I mean, we're uh, you know the season is supposed to start in 17 days as we're recording this. Uh, but I don't e- I don't even know if, are there any games left still scheduled up for August 29th or have they all been no no. those,
0: those have all been uh, pushed back by my count, we're now 23 days. yeah so so one extra week, uh, the week zero games because there there had been uh, Oklahoma had one, Kansas had one that they had added and then uh, we saw Texas State and SMU. I think we talked about that last week. but all those have been pushed back that uh, Texas State and, and SMU, Game is now September fifth, and then I, there are a few on uh, Thursday, September third. Uh, two FBS versus FBS games: South Alabama, Southern Miss, and New Mexico State, UAB. Those, last I checked, are still on. And then uh, looks like three FBS versus FBS games on on that Saturday. And then BYU and Navy are scheduled to play on uh, Labor Day night. And then there's some FCS versus FBS games mixed in there. But I think it's, yeah, 13 total games right now set for week one. But all the the week zero games were either canceled or or postponed uh, at this
1: point. And then there is, you know, the SEC, ACC, Big 12, uh, AAC, Conference USA without Old Dominion. Uh, and then some independence, Liberty, Army, New Mexico State, uh, all plan to play a normal schedule, Air Force or whatever is normal at this point. Uh, Air Force may play against Army and Navy. We'll see what happens there. Uh, the Big 12 uh, announced their s- updated schedule and conference games are set to start September 26. But like we said before, UTEP added to Texas schedule that games for September 12th. So that's you know before week one of that season. Um, so.
0: so far, that looks like what most of the Big 12 non-conference games are still filling in some holes. But I think uh, within the hour, they announced Louisiana was going to play Iowa State on that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arkansas State is playing Kansas State on that day. So that, that September 12th seems like the start of the Big 12 season at this point. And then they'll mostly have an off week and then start conference games that uh, September 26th.
1: And there were rumblings, and I don't know if we're going to hear any more about this or if you know the final details on this stuff, Nick, but I know Nebraska and Iowa opted, uh, they voted to have a season in the Big Ten. I believe they're the only two schools to do that. Scott Frost has been very vocal about, hey, we want to play a Big Ten schedule, but if that's not in the cards, we'll try to get a schedule done however we can. So um, I, I don't know how it's written in the rules and things like that, are we, uh, are, are we allowed to uh, – are they allowed to just move for a year? I guess you know Notre Dame kind of did, but Notre Dame was independent.
0: Right. So I, I didn't really take a lot of that uh, conversation very seriously, and, and it was sort of playing out a little bit in, in real time yesterday. And, and I, I did see the comments that Scott Frost made, and, and uh, Nebraska seemed to boast upset about it today – Ohio State Ryan Day uh, said something early in the day about you know it's a fluid situation we might still try to play some games or whatever but uh, Ohio State's athletic director I think again within the hour basically said that they're they're no longer pursuing any of, uh, you know any any fall games they're not going to to look into it uh, and then last night I believe it was the uh, the president of the, of the Big Ten. Um, uh, basically said you know <laughs> nebraska won't be doing that as a member of the big 10 so okay. uh, i guess if they were mm-hmm. to and take leave, the, the drastic right if they were going to take the the drastic step and there seems to be you know some support for that among uh some folks that are I'd love you know to connected nebraska to the it, it you know it, w- it would be interesting but i don't i wouldn't necessarily expect it but i haven't i haven't studied the you know, the situation but the it sounds
1: like information, uh, yeah, yeah. Right.
0: It sounds like that was kind of squash and, and I would assume that Nebraska, you know, whether whether quietly or not, will eventually sort of fall in line and uh prepare for a potential spring season.
1: So Xavier, how do you really realistically crown a champion? Do you, you gotta go split? Yeah, got gotta go early season, late season champs, kind of co-champs, or do you have like a Fall 2020 champion and a spring 2021 champion. What do you do?
2: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I really like, I, I really did like the idea that you have kids play one game in in the in the summer or in the back half of the spring. Uh, but you obviously brought up the idea of them going to the pros, which that doesn't seem like that's slowing down anytime soon. So that'll probably run as is. So obviously, kids leaving for the draft seems like it's going to happen when they normally do. Um, but I think you got to just go co champion. Uh, I think the last co champion was who
1: Penn State Tech. and somebody, right?
0: Well, there was Nebraska and Michigan. Uh, mm-hmm. in what was that, 98 when Charles Woodson was? Uh, mm-hmm. oh, and then oh, USC, okay. USC and LSU, when yeah, you won the BCS with Nick Saban, USC won the AP. Oh, yeah, that was I 2003. Know. Three or four, four. yeah, four, four, four.
2: Uh, Matt
1: Flynn.
0: <laughs> <know>. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I think that was the last one off the top of my head, but there <laughs> might Yeah, mind. that's
1: probably right. I mean, yeah. uh a co-champion to me always sounded stupid when you all played in the you, when you <laughs> all played at the same time, there should be one champion, which is why, you know, we've been begging for a playoff forever and we finally have gotten it. So, uh we don't want to go away from that. I know it's going to be weird to see if uh, you know, do we have a BCS national title uh game going on uh, or whatever this year um in, in both halves if they both go i don't know uh so it, it's it's definitely gonna here's be the, weird go ahead yeah i would
2: say here's gonna be the weirdest scenario if we do have a fall in spring what if either one has a guy has a team that wins it all that sucks uh, I mean, you can imagine what happens if we have a team in the spring that goes nine and three and wins and wins it all, or ten and two and wins it all, or something like that scenario where that same team wouldn't even have gotten into the championship by record in the fall. That's when it would get weird and wacky because then you'd have teams in the fall that are like, we wouldn't have lost to them. You know, so right. I, I think that's where we get the the wackiness, and I think as college football fans, we might even
1: like it to an extent. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, to come up with that. So, so <laughs> yeah. honestly, like uh, th- this, it, it's weird, it's strange, but college football is always weird and strange. You know, the number five team—it used to be the number three team—is always the most upset. That team, you mm-hmm. know, didn't mm-hmm. get to the national title game. Blah 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 blah. Now it's the number five team. Uh well we didn't get in the tournament because X Y or Z you know now they're always upset. This g- would be even more just talking points because well who's the better national champion the fall team or the spring team? You know what I mean? So
2: it's uh, neither. It's gonna be UCF who crowns himself yeah. as champion once again. Oh yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> if the whole season is canceled, UCF will just take it and go to Disneyland uh, or Disney World because Disney World is open, so right. they can go there. Uh, you know it's uh it, it, it's very crazy.
0: It it sounds like that just sort of, and of course, nothing's official. Things change by the hour. All those caveats, uh, put those out there. But it sounds like the college football playoff committee uh, will be meeting soon to sort of to discuss. And it sounded like the Big Twelve was the sort of the decider. That if they pulled out, that there wasn't going to be a, a college football playoff seemed to be the, the thought among reporters and and sort of, uh, you know, whoever was speaking on background and, and whatnot. Uh, the fact that the Big 12 said, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to play, sounds like, okay, the college football playoff, we'll try to figure out what to do in the fall. I would assume that, that so they right? they would have a, a fall and then, you know, the spring – Sorry, there's there's not one. Uh, something I saw just just a little bit ago was, you know, hey, it sort of sets up decently well if if there is a spring season. And of course, we haven't really gotten the details, but there's tons of potential issues, like you mentioned with the NFL draft, but also the health and safety of trying to cram in, you know, two seasons yeah. and and
1: all of that. But uh, and if, who's eligibility? Who's right, still eligible? Right, right. Who's still in school? So uh, how many kids are going to transfer now with all this mm -hmm. stuff? We've got a storm coming in the next week of just getting solidified schedules and then getting, you know, players transferring, players opting out, uh, all all of this stuff. So we're kind of, this is a calm before the storm is right right,
0: Right. But if, if it, you know, best case scenario, as it stands now, we have a fall season that plays, there's a college football playoff. It's, you know, the champions of, of the three power five uh, divisions and, and or conferences, and then, you know, maybe the ACC or AAC champion gets in. Maybe, you know, UCF or Memphis or, mm-hmm. or whoever might have an opportunity to sneak in this year. That would be somewhat interesting or, or you know, probably a little more likely a, a second team from one of those conferences gets in, maybe Notre Dame in addition to Clemson or, you know, two SEC teams, what have you. Uh, but then in the spring, again, assuming best case scenario, uh, it would be somewhat interesting that, you know, you could have your Pac-12 and your Big Ten uh, seasons that go on and and you could have a old-fashioned Rose Bowl. It wouldn't be yeah. on, you know, January 1st. But uh, that, that might be somewhat of a consolation, especially if there's not a, a college football playoff. But I don't know. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of... Moving parts, of course, and, and everything could, I mean, uh, do, did we expect this time last week to be talking about this today? Uh, maybe not. So who knows what we'll be talking about next week or next month or, <laughs> right. or whatever. So we we'll I just, just, I I just, just like, like, take it as it comes.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. We just got to roll with the punches. And I, I just imagine people looking in like a college football record book 70 years from now, if there is still college football, but uh, hey. you know, hey. lo- <laughs> lo- looking at a uh, college football record book like 70 years ago, what the hell was going on in 2020? Why did they play games in the spring and have two national champions? I'll I don't understand any of
2: them. I'll still be here.
1: I gotta explain it to. <laughs> Why? Well, well, yeah. Well, uh, in ten years, I may be gone. So you'll have to explain to everybody at okay. that point. But uh, you know, it's it's just it's going to look weird. But it's also, you know, it's exciting to live through the weirdness, of course, because we get we're witnessing all kinds of weird history going on. Uh, but it's also you know turbulent and scary and and strange. So yeah, I'd rather uh, not. Yeah. Yeah. I I would (laughs) rather not (laughs) do something that when it's over with, we're going to get to say, Hey, we lived through that and we made it, you know what I mean? But, uh, enduring it right now is not so much fun. We'd rather just have college football go off and be bitching about how, uh, you know, uh, Texas is way too hyped up and they're going to lose to Oklahoma again or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And by the way, I noticed, you know, uh, uh, all the combos that Nick had, it wasn't two Big Twelve teams making the playoffs, so
0: that was an um, oversight on my part. that certainly could be. No, no, okay.
2: it wasn't. It was not an oversight. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> your analytical <laughs> mind going to work, understanding the scenario and situation.
1: This is the angel and the devil on my shoulder right here, It's Snavier <laughs> and Nick. Right, exactly, exactly. But uh, in, in more news, I mean, I mean, Nick, do you have anything to say about the new Big Twelve schedule? I mean. Uh it's definitely uh it, it's uh, everything's weird now so uh, I haven't dived into it quite yet uh what what did you see from it anything weird
0: So from from my perspective and from like our our projections and things like that things really didn't change they they didn't flip any home or away the uh Texas Oklahoma game is still scheduled to be a uh, neutral site so all the actual game by game projection projected point spreads and talent edges all that stuff is, is all the same. they just sort of in some cases jumbled up the, the order a little bit and, and right now at least our projections don't account for you know back-to-back road games or you know playing two difficult teams back back to back so uh, from that standpoint nothing really changed nothing jumped out. The SEC which happened of course over the, the weekend Friday night, uh, that shook things up a little bit because, of course, you know Missouri had a, a brutal draw uh, for their new two new opponents. Arkansas has one of the most difficult schedules, uh, probably of of all time, and so uh, there there was a little bit more there uh, as far as you know potentially changing projections. And, and pretty much the case for everybody was their schedule got more difficult in, in the sec for the big 12 for the most part other than order it, it pretty much stayed the same and then just kind of filling in those gaps as, as to who the, the one non-conference game, uh, will be. But from the the grand scheme, big picture, uh, it didn't really, didn't really strike me as anything too different.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we have, uh, uh you know, many FCS and lower division conferences and programs. There's interest in, Many of the canceled teams and conferences to play in the spring. Uh, so, I mean, is FCS and all that stuff? Do you, Do we think that all gets played in the spring? Do you think uh, a lot of it just gets pushed back to next year? How do you see those other, you know, lower divisions uh, doing all of their stuff so far, Nick?
0: I I I don't know if if they'll be able to pull it together. Of course, there's a ton of potential issues, but the the lower you go down the the ladder, uh, away from FBS, it, I think it's a, a little bit easier. So I would certainly, you know, be, be pretty excited if there's, uh, some FCS college football, you know, FBS college football in, in the spring, uh, would, would certainly be, you know, give me something to do in the, in the early <laughs> uh, months of the year. And, and there's, you know, some, some, uh, interest on my part of, Getting together maybe some team profiles for FCS teams, mm-hmm. if if there's a spring season, there might be uh, some bandwidth to to get something like that done. So, you know, I, I certainly uh, hope they can. I think that would be great. Hopefully, of course, we can get the uh, virus under control by then so that, you know, things are, are Able to to move in in that
1: direction. Oh so. come on, Russia's already got a vaccine. You don't uh, trust that one? Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> no I'm here Literally just uh, something at <laughs> like his computer at me. So. Um, <laughs>
0: but uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> we Scott will. Right uh, we will. You know, if if there is the opportunity <laughs> for an FCS season, I certainly welcome it. Uh, I, I hope they can get it together, but uh you know a lot of logistical issues will will have to work themselves out by then
1: for sure yeah yeah and i think a lot of uh you know w- we may not have a vaccine you know in the next 2 years who knows so uh it, in in this country anyway but uh it it i think just more time can help you understand how it spreads understand what to do whatever it is So getting to the spring, you know, things could, and honestly, you know, we could see the conferences that are going to play in the fall kind of be guinea pigs, you know what I mean? Like, uh, well, you know, they all tried this and it didn't work. So let you know, we know to scratch that off the list or whatever. So uh, the failings of uh, the possible failings, I don't want to say failings already because we haven't seen if it works or doesn't work yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's tough to, I've said this all along, it, it's tough to, uh, you know, police these younger kids, you know, uh, and I remember being 22. I remember being Xavier's age and, you know, thinking I'm invincible, you know, and and uh, it it doesn't matter, you know. Uh, so now <laughs> you live a, bit, a little bit longer, you know, you have um, one or two things happen and you're like, okay, maybe I'm not invincible anymore. So, you know, you, you uh, start to take things just a little bit more seriously, but we can't get, you know, Lou Williams, like I said last week, he left the bubble in Orlando. We had two pitchers for the Indians who are getting paid millions of dollars leave to go to a club or something. Uh, you know, We've had outbreaks with the Cardinals and Marlins. The, these are professionals and it, who are getting paid a lot of money, and they still can't keep it in a bubble or keep it together. So it's going to be hard to ask 100 scholarship athletes, Uh, you know, to not go out and do things. You're going to have outbreaks. It's going to happen. So uh, it's how do we react to them? How much testing is going to happen? Actually, you know, because a lot of these schools have already lost money and they know they're going to lose money by not having tickets come through at the gate for a lot of them. So how much money is going to be poured into testing and, and, and all that stuff? So there's a lot of logistical questions still to answer, and that makes this season difficult. And I don't mean to be a downer, Xavier. I just – these are the things that we're facing, right? Am I the optimistic one on today's podcast? Yeah, uh, You might be.
2: Yes, <laughs> go. I'm. I'm ready to carry it. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right, Scott. I think that there are a lot of things that need to be answered. Um, the SEC did say, if I'm not mistaken, that they would be doing testing twice a week. So into your guinea pig kind of conversation, we can watch and see if that works, if that's enough. You know, we, we, we know that these – schools are not capable of doing something like, they, like the NBA is doing when they are testing people every day uh, from just a financial standpoint. And they're in a bubble. Yeah. You know, they just don't have the means to do that. And on top of that, it's a hundred scholarship players versus like 15 basketball players. Right. per team.
1: So they're getting paid millions. Yeah. Right. So, so it's more a bit- incentive for the basketball players. <laughs> so,
2: right. but uh, like, I like what you said about the Guinea pig scenario. I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, it, it's not surprising That these conferences are all in the same kind of geographical area, you know, growing up in the South. I'm not terribly surprised by the decision making down here. I'm not going to lie. But I I think that uh, ultimately these guys want to be guinea pigs. They want to have fall football. Uh, I said on a different podcast yesterday that it's a religion. And, it is. you know, I you know, I don't think that people don't want to have their football with their Jesus. So I, I just think that that's something that we're going to have to kind of deal with as, as we're going through the next couple of weeks, next month. And, and we'll go from there. I think ultimately, we, like I said, we kind of stay positive up until we have no reason to be positive anymore. And at that point, we move on. Um, as far as an FCS scenario, I think the FCS is ready to go. We'll be ready to go with a spring football. Uh, I just think that they... Uh, they feel a lot more cohesive in their decision-making a lot of the times than the FBS does. They were the first people to do a playoff successfully um, be- way before the FBS could even come to an agreement on it. Uh, you know that a lot of The FCS decided early on, we're not going to do it. We're not going to play. And they pushed it all the way to the spring immediately. So they look like they're a little bit more cohesive in their decision-making there. Um, they don't have the same financial implications um, with not playing. They don't have the same TV rights deals, which I think, are kind of skewing what's going on in the FBS a little bit. But I think the FCS will be more than ready uh, if it's possible to have it going in the spring. And I think that'd be excellent. I think that gives them another opportunity to show themselves in a better light. I think more attention to the FCS programs than we'll ever be able to have before. You know, so I think that that's a definite possibility that, you know, not only from a playing perspective but also from a money perspective ESPN is going to be running Granville State versus Southern you know on their on ESPN not ESPNU so I think that's even from that perspective it's going to be it could be a possibly really good thing for them as well
1: yeah and you know I hope it happens in the spring for the lower uh you know divisions and conferences and all that Mm -hmm. stuff too because you know we heard so much about well if they don't play in the fall then this all these programs are going to go under, you know what I mean? Like we heard there was a lot of that talk that was happening, which, you know, I I don't think anything is a foregone conclusion of, uh, of course, because you never know who graduated from what school and who's willing to donate and how the community is going to rally around and all that stuff. So I think even if they do have to shut down financially, a lot of these programs will slowly trickle back in if, if we do, get them uh if they do have to eventually shut down but uh it's gonna be weird and nick you listed some of the um schedule stuff here all previously scheduled week zero games been canceled or postponed you said that early currently 13 games are scheduled for week one including five fbs versus fbs games uh thursday september 3rd uh south alabama at southern miss and new mexico state at uab is that our very first games of the season
0: uh, those on that day, I believe uh, Murray State plays Georgia State uh, that day, and then there's one other FBS versus FCS that, when I checked earlier this morning, was still on the schedule. So it's you know it's uh, kind of on the the heels of what Xavier was saying about uh, moving to the spring potentially if if they're able to make that work gives the FCS a, a bigger platform. I'm also a little bit intrigued, you know, if we have a slimmed down fall season and then we can make it work this uh, fall, it'll be interesting to dive in a little bit deeper on some of these games. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we built our FPS team profiles to, to uh, cover every player as much as we can on, on every team. But, you know, quite honestly, I certainly you know, spend more time on some teams compared to others. There's just more available to read. There's more available to watch, whether it's a replay on on YouTube or what have you. But if you know Murray State versus Georgia State is on ESPN, or Austin P and Cincinnati is is on uh, you know prime time, then that's going to give an opportunity to to dig in a little bit more on. Those teams and and not just, of course, the FCS teams, but uh, some of the FBS teams that that get overlooked as well. But, uh, yeah, as of right now, it it looks like that Thursday, there are six total games. uh, Southeast Louisiana, at Tulane, Jacksonville State, at FIU, Austin Peay, Cincinnati and Murray State, Georgia State are the others that that are non uh, FBS versus FBS. Mm -hmm.
1: So. All right. So we got some games scheduled up. We'll see if they stick. Um, you know, we'll eventually
0: get to preview those, so yeah, yeah. we'll dive deep on uh, New Mexico State and UAB.
1: (laughs) Oh, now I'm 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 excited! So much fun with those games. Uh, New Mexico State and UAB, look at he just salivating for that, exactly. Hey, look, man, I'll just be happy that there's some football being played. That's how I mean, like, uh, we get no preseason in the NFL, so we don't get a game until September 10th. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, hard knock started last night. I still haven't even watched it. Uh, but you know, at least some football is starting to come back at at some level. So, uh, you, I, I'm, I'm, I would be so happy to see UAB versus New Mexico state. No, like just no one has any idea. Like these are the things that will comfort us in this time. I mean, I'm behind on all my podcasts because there's so much sports going on right now. Did you see that five-overtime hockey game last night? That was insane. Yeah. And uh, baseball's on and basketball's on, so we just, I just let's, let's get it to happen somehow. Um, but uh, we got some player news, and like I said, uh, and Nick, I think you agree with me, just next week, if we really are solidified in, uh, you know, the SEC playing, the ACC playing, the Big 12 playing, is there going to be just an insane amount of, of grad transfers and, and things like that uh, from the other teams that, you know, they want to just get it done and then, you know, train up for the, the draft and stuff like that?
0: It, it will be interesting to see. I, I, I did think it was notable that uh, when we heard the official word from the Big Ten and the Pac-12, there wasn't an immediate flood of, of players transferred out. I, I believe... I've only had to make one uh, since a, since a team had its uh, season canceled officially, I've only had one transfer change that I had to make a a UConn uh, defensive back entered the transfer portal. And I, I, it's possible I'm missing something, but uh, Oh, there was a Mac wide receiver as well. So those are the only, those are the only two at this point. So I, I think, Players probably, and it's probably smart to sort of, you know, take a breath, wait and see. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't, I, I, can't say what the the right decision is for a, a, you know, a certain player in a certain situation. Yeah. But it it makes to me it makes a little bit of sense to kind of kind of wait and see because you yeah. wouldn't really want to transfer and then the yeah. whole thing gets shut down anyway which exactly. i think we're, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that that's a, a possibility that's so ab- yeah
1: i mean th- there's still a very real chance that we don't get college football i mean th- there there absolutely is so i think like you said we're, we're fooling ourselves if you take that uh into the you know out of the equation you know because- and then
0: you know if if it's august 12th if if the Big Twelve is playing non-conference games on September twelfth, you know how, it, it's it's going to be a, a bit of an uphill uh, you know uphill climb yeah. for a grad transfer or, or what have you to say. Okay, I'm you know going to transfer from the Mountain West or I'm going to transfer from the Pac twelve and get into this Big Twelve uh, program and then have a, a chance to play right away. And it's going to be that's going to be. Pretty difficult. There are probably a, a pretty you know short list of people that would be able to jump and, and make an immediate impact on a completely new team, new players, new coaches, new system, new terminology. So I, I think you know maybe maybe we won't see as much of that as as probably was immediately you know came to mind. That that like oh well now I'm not going to be able to play this fall if I stay at USC. I need to get to georgia or, or right whatever. and and you know so i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and look that's the best answer right now and i know that's frustrating to a lot of people to hear and all that stuff but i don't know is probably the only real acceptable answer because i mean if you try to plant your flag and oh well this is definitely happening they just said you know uh you're going to look like a silly goose. Mm -hmm. I mean, 53, what is it? Is it 53 teams have have pushed their season to last
0: count? And I think when we started recording conference, USA had its athletic directors and presidents in a meeting. So who knows what will happen from, from that.
1: if conference USA, uh, you know, dips out that I, doesn't that shift the total to more teams in the spring? So there are
0: 13, there are 13 teams yet to make a, and if, well i mean there are 13 teams that are still scheduled to play in conference usa so right. yeah, if they if they uh did cancel hypothetically i don't know that we should expect that tonight but that would get it to 66 that would be uh just one over the the halfway point
1: right so so who knows you know um it's uh everything's up in the air i mean this is a uh, not only is it a weird time to be podcasting about college football, but I think this day, Wednesday, the twelfth, specifically, <laughs> is a rough day to record stuff because, like you said, Conference USA is in meetings. Not all of the teams have come out with this schedule. Uh, the SEC has not announced. Uh, did they announce the new schedule officially? Yeah, Friday, Friday okay. night
0: they announced the new schedule. Two new conference opponents. They gave us okay. dates. You need to check. Check the FBS team profiles. Actually. Okay, but do we have <laughs> okay. their
1: non-conference schedule done?
0: They aren't playing. They aren't playing. Uh, they enough. just they aren't, aren't playing.
1: playing. Okay, right. because I know the ACC has one, right. but not all it, the teams had that assigned, and correct. that was the same thing with the Big Twelve. They had one, but not correct. all of them are assigned yeah. yet. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, see, I'm catching up here too. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's been an absolute whirlwind with all this stuff. But uh, I mean, I mean. You know, we'll find out soon enough with all this stuff. But getting to actual player news, uh, former Arizona linebacker Tony Fields announced his intention to transfer to West Virginia. Fields has also considered Texas and Minnesota. Uh, WVU moved up uh, from number 75 in linebacker unit strength rating to number 12 with the addition of Fields and went from uh, ninth in the Big 12 to third. So a great addition for the Mountaineers, Nick. Yeah, and
0: and you know Fields is somebody we talked about a little bit when he announced he was going to transfer from Arizona. According to our player ratings, he's a ninety-five rated player. He's a really really experienced. Started thirty-six games. Has racked up fifteen production points in in his career. So highly productive player. Uh, you know, talented guy has has made, you know played a lot of snaps, made a lot of tackles, and and he should uh, help elevate that unit for sure. And and uh, it, it I, I worry a little bit with this. I did want to make note because that is such a big jump in our unit ratings. But I, I worry a little bit about this, and maybe this is a, something we'll get into if we have more time uh, or in another offseason or whatever when I'm tweaking sort of our, our model. But West Virginia, uh, as a base, we expect, at least they did, of course, part ways with their defensive coordinator less than a month ago. So uh, maybe there's still some changes to be had, but their base is a four-two-five, And so there's only two starting linebackers. So Fields is going to be a huge, huge part. And being a 95-rated player, you know, is going to carry a long way anyway. So I, I struggle a little bit. I do think it's, you know, important to note that p- there are perhaps some overrated linebacker units if they only you know have two starters but still I mean he's uh he's proved to be a very very good player he was pursued by uh his other two finalists were Minnesota and Texas uh, fortunately for him he didn't pick uh Minnesota unfortunately I guess for you he, he also didn't pick Texas but uh know, yeah, he'll he'll I would expect I penciled him right in, even though they have two returning starters. Uh, I penciled him into the starting lineup and, and expect that he uh, will have every opportunity to start and play a lot for West Virginia. And, and they certainly could use him. Uh, that you know they're still ranked ninth in the Big Twelve in our overall team strength rating. So uh, with a a almost conference only schedule, uh, West Virginia is going to. You know, be an underdog in a lot of games, so
2: they can use all the help they can get.
1: Yeah, great move for West Virginia, right, Xavier?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great move for West Virginia. I don't know how I feel about the move for him. to Be honest with you, um, I feel like he made a linear move. Um, you know, t- typically when kids transfer, I feel like they're they're either going up in talent scale or they're going to somewhere that they can play. And I mean, he was gonna play. Well, at can't Arizona.
1: play at Arizona.
2: Well, yeah, he well, Yeah, <laughs> you know, he was going to play Arizona. Let's put it that way. Uh, right. You know, and, and I feel like. West Virginia, I feel like the move he was going to make was going to be on a team that was going to give him more of an opportunity to go straight to the pros without the the object of a bad team, that he was playing on a bad team. And and, and that's why I feel like he was leaving Arizona, was to get to a better program, uh, which is, you know, you look at the other two teams on his possible candidacy, which were Texas and Minnesota, those were two teams that were going to be possibly vying for their mm-hmm. side of the conference or for the conference as a whole. And I feel like this West Virginia move was more of a move of a, well, okay, I'm going to play a lot here and I'm going to probably put up similar numbers, which is why I think he had to ultimately went to West Virginia. So I feel like from a number standpoint, from a playing standpoint, great move for him. I just don't know how I feel about the move as far as it going from, uh, to a linear team, uh, as far as going from Arizona to West Virginia, I feel like that's very linear. He didn't really go up in, in, in you know, value on the team at all. I agree. Yeah. That's, a,
0: that's a really good point. A uh, little bit of, of uh, breaking news. Uh Uh, The NCAA has announced that uh, college players who opt out or do not play full season due to coronavirus will be granted an extra season of eligibility.
2: So that's man, Hey, I'll I'll give the NCAA credit. They have put all of the earnest and the disappointment onto the schools at this point. They (laughs) They said that if you don't play, we'll still grant your scholarship. And now they're saying that we'll give you an extra year of eligibility if you decide not to play. NCAA. I don't often give you guys kudos, but for once in my entire life, good job.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's that's a great deal uh, for a lot of those kids. So uh, that that should impact things uh, fairly tremendously here.
2: Ooh, but I will play devil's advocate here. What does that do for recruiting now? Because now you've got a bunch of high school kids who now will be coming into a school that may not have played football this year. Do they need them? Will they grant those scholarships? All right. Incidentally, now you've created a whole nother problem. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I well, like how, I like how, you know, you're, you're, uh, <laughs> that you stick to your conviction and you, you, you put your foot down and you, you know, you don't question it immediately <laughs> as in 10 seconds later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's going to be tough to recruit anyway. But but no, it's, that's that's also
0: a really good play. I mean, No it, one's going to
1: play high school football, like it's uh, not being played like anywhere, is it?
0: Uh, there are some, yeah. Are yeah. yeah. you oh, really? It's hit or miss, but yeah, there there's still some. There Texas are some states canceled it.
1: Texas canceled it. and Other states are still playing.
2: Yeah, if you live in the state of Georgia, you'll be playing college oh football. God, uh, school, a couple of weeks to a month.
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, but it, uh, you know what? That might get on TV. Honestly, <laughs> if there's not college football. That stuff might get on TV, high school football. Why wouldn't it? Right.
0: You know, people
1: watch it. Um, That's crazy. Uh, Yeah, but I was going to say it's going to be tough to recruit anyway because I I would say most of – and, you know, luckily there's already ratings and rankings and all that stuff that you can see on 247. So a lot of those guys have at least some film and, and, you know, uh, some type of momentum moving – even if they're not going to play uh, this season. But that's going to be weird, too. I mean, it's making, you know, coronavirus making it weird for every single thing that happens. And another unfortunate thing that happened here is uh, Trevor Speets, who uh, transferred from Stanford to Notre Dame in the offseason here, was forced to medically retire now.
0: Yeah, we we talked about Spates, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago or or whenever it was that he announced he was going to Notre Dame, thought he could have an opportunity to compete for carries, maybe even be the top ball carrier uh, for Notre Dame this year. It seems like a bit of a wide open, uh, you know, situation there. Uh, So this is certainly unfortunate for him. He did, I believe, I know he did not play last year. I assume that was injury related. So unfortunately, it sounds like, uh, he just wasn't able to, you know, come back uh, to, to be healthy enough to, to play. Certainly wish him the best. But, yeah, from a, a football standpoint, it's a, a bit of a hit. Notre Dame obviously, you know, felt they had a need. Were, were willing to take a graduate transfer and potentially uh, give him an immediate opportunity for playing time. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, where they go from here. Uh, there potentially are two and a half, or, you no know, four conferences worth of players that could potentially be available? Will they go for somebody else? <laughs> or, uh, you know, they, they do have some talent there, Do They do have a little bit of depth. They just don't have a go-to guy quite yet. So right. uh, there was maybe a, a small uh, chance that Spades was going to be that guy, but he certainly was going to be in the mix. So uh, certainly uh, unfortunate news from him.
1: Yeah, Xavier, I'd love to see Jafar Armstrong uh, take the workload here, but he kind of has proven that he can't handle a full workload
2: yeah it's always tough when when a kid has to be you know when his football career comes to an end without his own decision uh you know when when you see a guy get medically discharged medically discharged uh essentially be told that he can no longer play the sport in which he loves it's never a great situation uh I thought like both of you said I thought he was going to get most of the carries or at least share a a large sum of them and, and and be a productive ball carrier uh for them this year but you know, just, just hoping that he can find a new avenue for himself. Uh, a lot of times the players like this have situations, you know, when you've played football your entire life, kind of that next step into something else, into another field, is the most difficult. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and this is uh, real crappy news here. Oklahoma defensive lineman Jalen Redman, a projected starter, was arrested for a DUI early Wednesday. Uh, if he is suspended, the Sooners will be uh, without both Ronnie Perkins and and Redmond to start the season, Nick. That's uh, putting the Sooners behind the eight ball a little bit.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, on paper, their defensive line looks pretty good. Ronnie Perkins, one of the top pass rushers in college football. Redmond uh, has only started four games, but was really, really productive last season. So, uh, it, it certainly will be interesting to see, you know, what happens. They obviously won't really be pushed in that September twelfth game against. Missouri State, but uh, we've seen that Oklahoma's had a little bit of uh, trouble in in the past few seasons, uh, really staying consistent defensively and, and playing to the level of what we you know think its its talent is. So uh, certainly, certainly a loss, and and uh, hate to see something like this happen. Hopefully, uh, you know won't won't uh, derail his his future too much, but uh, maybe. Uh, he'll be able to to move on from this and and you know from a football standpoint oklahoma they'll be fine i think in the short right. term but certainly uh you know not not what you want a month from when you're supposed to open the you know off the season
1: yeah and it would have been even earlier had the schedule change not come down recently you know they were supposed to be one of the teams that opened on the 29th of year i mean obviously not against a tough opponent in your oklahoma so you have you know, four stars backing a five stars. So they'll be okay, but just uh, a crappy thing to see.
2: Yeah, you know, it's a disciplinary issue. So it's just never a good thing. A good, It's never a good problem uh, to have, you know. Uh, but you guys said it right. I think to their benefit, they kind of twisted a little bit. It does give guys an opportunity to play that wouldn't normally get to get the same amount of snaps, which may bode well for them in a very, very weird season where guys have not been able to, you know, get ready like they typically do. To get those guys on the bench reps early in the year against a bad team or against a bet a, a, a worse team than you, it's an opportunity to you know maybe later on the season that might help them out. So,
1: yeah, exactly. And then in more sad news here, uh, influential coach Bill Yeoman uh, passed away Wednesday. He was an assistant at Michigan State from uh, fifty four to sixty one, and head coach at Houston from uh, sixty two to eighty six. Uh, he is a college football Hall of Famer. He won four Southwest Conference titles. Now popularized the Veer offense, which Houston used to set records in the '60s, Nick, so uh, sad to see him passing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've lost, uh, you know a handful of, of uh, really influential coaches this, this year, this offseason, and, and certainly uh, sad to hear, but very influential guy. He was a, a, a captain uh, at Army in the mid-'40s. Uh, you know, that Michigan State program when he was there was, you know, those were some of the glory years, their national title uh, contending years. And and so, uh, of course, they also, you know, during that time period uh, made a lot of progress by uh, recruiting and playing black players that, that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certainly uh, ahead of the time. And, and so uh, for him to uh, have such an impact at, at uh, you know Houston and, and you know in offensive football uh, we see we see Veer concepts still on a weekly basis at, at the college level and uh, you know any high school uh, game oh, you're right. you're you're likely to see uh, some some Veer concepts for sure I know we ran it in high school and <laughs> certainly uh, coached against it uh, on occasion as well so uh, it was. Uh, very, very explosive at the time. They were setting national scoring records and led the uh, led the nation in total yardage. I think three straight years in the early '60s. Uh, so, so certainly, you know, good on the field and and had an impact off the field as well. So, sad to hear.
1: Yeah, it, anytime you lose an influential coach, it's uh, it it always is sad and and hits the community pretty hard. But uh, you know, Houston Houston is resilient, so. Um, uh, just uh, a crappy thing to happen. But we have... Hey, w- go ahead, Xavier.
2: I got to ask before, before we go, because this isn't a shot at either one of you guys, but what was it like to play the Veer? I got to ask. <laughs> well, it uh, you was see, right after so... the,
1: the single wing, so... You know, <laughs> uh, because we're so old, you know. Uh, I remember going to college with Sammy Baugh. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, when he led the nation passing and punting at the same time.
0: So, <laughs> so, Veer... Beer concepts are not as uh, old and dusty as, as you might think, Zavieri. I mean, I, I know that uh, we're, I guess, now a little bit removed from from this time. But when Urban Meyer was at Florida, a lot of what he did, uh, you know, Bowling Green, Utah, and, and uh, up to his time in Florida was, you know, basically running the beer out of a, a shotgun, 10 personnel uh, setup. So it, we've seen we've seen it be moved. There's a, a, a really great, I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of people are familiar with Chris Brown, who also goes by spark football. Who's written a lot about uh, football and, and particularly offensive football in, in years past, but uh, you know, within the last decade or so uh, he went in deep on something called the inverted fear, which actually was something that you uh, Auburn used quite a lot in, in 2010, when Cam Newton was, uh, you know, winning the Heisman Trophy and leading them to a national title, uh, a lot of what they did and had some some fear concepts, and they inverted it, changed uh, some things, obviously. But you know, everything is is uh, everything that's new in football is old, so uh, mm-hmm. it, it gets recycled from time to time. But if you, if you look closely, you can still see uh, some some bits and pieces of it, and I'm sure at the NFL level, there's uh, certainly you know some influences as well. Maybe not quite as noticeable to the naked eye, but there, there certainly are some things that uh, impact football as a whole today that that were uh, in vogue and and revolutionary in the you know fifties and sixties and and what have you. So, but I, I get your point. We're old, but also,
1: can, can you uh,
0: as, can- as your elder? I will lecture you sometimes. I didn't even say
2: it earlier. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I just see. can't wait till someone gets ass off here. What was the spread offense like? how was yeah. that? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? What was it we like used to be with too, five yeah. offensive linemen now that there's only three or whatever <laughs> weird nonsense they I'm come up with in it. the future? I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, uh, the, the, the way the way we're heading right now, it'll be what was football like, mm. but hopefully we never get there. Um, now we do actually have some football to talk about too. This is supposed to be our AAC preview, finally, right, Nick? Hey,
0: let's so, let's go crazy. That's
1: yeah, fun yeah, fun. exactly. I mean, not every the schedules are weird. Some <laughs> teams we got playing twelve games, or uh, what is it? It's up to twelve. Yeah, Tulane to, has
0: twelve. They uh, added. Yeah, and they Temple added has eight. One or two. Yeah. Uh,
1: and, and Temple has eight. So uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we can at least talk about the players in the team. So. Yes. Uh, Let's go talk about the AAC and let's start out with uh, the, uh, you know, Xavier's already crowned them national champions. Uh, We've got them ranked number one, the AAC number 16 overall. UCF favored win uh, 10 of 10 games, talent edges in 10 of 10. And uh, projected wins is uh, just over eight. Um, So what do you think about UCF this season?
0: So I, our numbers love UCF. I mean, 16 for a, uh, group of five team is pretty much incredible. I mean, I, I don't know that a group of five team broke our top 20 last year at, at any point in the season. Because, again, if, if you're a first time listener, the way our rankings work is who would be favored against, you know, what team on a neutral field. So UCF, the strength of their team is, in our opinion, or, or not even opinion and the way that our numbers work, we would only favor 15 teams nationally over UCF and, and a handful of those aren't going to be playing. I mean, you know, Oregon yeah. is, is ranked higher, uh, Penn state, Ohio state, Michigan a little bit higher. So UCF, you know, if, if the season works, you know, as currently scheduled for them, you would expect Uh, Our our win projections have a a 96% chance of beating FIU, 90% chance of beating Georgia Tech. And, you know, then then you get into conference play. They do play Memphis. That's a relative toss-up. We do have uh, UCF favored by two and a half points, but everybody else on the schedule, they're double-digit favorites at least. They're over a 20-point favorite in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. So our numbers absolutely love UCF. Dylan Gabriel, I was very, very impressed with his play as a true freshman last year. Otis Anderson, in, in my opinion, was the, one of the most exciting uh, players in in college football. Scott, you know I'm a sucker for these guys who you know are, are running backs, but also uh, get the ball as receivers that Ibridge. that they put the, exactly that you know get moved around a variety of roles get the that's ball. Why, in a that's why you of love. Uh,
1: how disappointed are you? No, Wandell Robinson.
0: Oh, yeah. There. Very, uh, but you know, you know, a- as a whole, UCF is very, very strong. The offensive line returns three starters. They brought in a-, a transfer that's likely to start as well. So that unit we expect to be one of the best in in uh, the American. It's uh, top forty unit nationally and-, and our highest rated. This secondary is a top twenty unit in college football. I- I- there's been a lot of talk. Uh, maybe not a lot. Of- there's been some that (laughs) Cincinnati has like an elite level G five secondary. Our numbers think UCF is actually just, you know, one or two spots better. So Richie Grant uh, as a senior is, is an all-conference performer, Aaron Robinson, an all-conference performer. Uh, Tate Gowan is going to be a name to know come NFL draft season. Uh, They, they are stacked, especially as far as the G five level goes on the one hand, I'm really, really sad that that you know, their fall season, they won't have a full complement of FBS teams to to compare, because I do think that this is one of the top 20 teams in college football for sure. But I guess I, I should be, you know, somewhat excited that, okay, well, if you don't have to worry about a team from the Big Ten or the Pac-12, and if the SEC beats itself up to where everybody's got you know, the, the second place team has three losses or, or you know, the big 12 can't get uh, more than a, a two loss champion or what have you, maybe an undefeated UCF team that's beating, you know, beating eight of its 10 opponents by three touchdowns or more. If a college football playoff exists, maybe UCF gets in and we can see what they could do. And, and oh, this team as good. it's constructed uh, could do some damage. I mean, we, this game no longer exists, unfortunately, but we had UCF, favored by more than a touchdown over north carolina north carolina is you know a team that a lot of folks think have an opportunity to compete for uh their division in in the acc and, and are really really excited about sam howell and that receiving core but we had ucf is clearly the better team so ucf is is incredibly incredibly strong very excited Uh, hopefully to to get an opportunity to see them play this year. And it won't be easy. That game against Memphis certainly will be difficult. Houston will be a lot better. Cincinnati, of course, beat uh, UCF last season. So, you know, there certainly are losable games. But as constructed, this team is uh, a favorite in every
1: game and, and,
0: you know, a double-digit favorite in in all but one. So uh,
1: really, really strong team. Xavier, what do you think about these national champs?
2: Um, I, I really like UCF. And what I like most about him is the veteran leadership literally everywhere. Uh, they, this team is senior laden at literally every single position um, outside of quarterback. And that all depends on whether or not we see McKenzie Milton play this year. Uh, I think that might be the biggest question mark on this whole team. And I don't think it matters who plays at quarterback for them this year. I think oh, they, they need him. I, yeah, I think they can go undefeated with, with or without him. Um, I, I think. You know, Dylan Gabriel is going to make that big, that better step than what he did last year. I think that last year they had some really head scratching losses to Tulsa and the uh, just to name you know, the two. You know, they lost to Cincinnati as well. But I think that was more of a conducive or, or more of a competitive game. Uh, I think they should have handled Tulsa and Pitt last year better, and I think that they would have won eleven and one last year. I, I, I think that this is a team that, barring any unforeseen letdowns, whether they not, just don't show up for a game, whether they're overlooking a team, you know, one of those types of situations, they're gonna run the table. Uh and Nick's gonna get his scenario where they may be a team at six or five there at the end of the year that's like, hey, we should get in. Uh and, and I don't I don't see why why not. Uh because I do think that this team is finally talented enough to do that. I think a couple of years ago, excuse me, when everybody was, you know, calling for them to be in there, I think it was a little bit too early. I think they've done really well recruiting. They have a secondary, like Nick said, that is FBS, not only talent wise, but size wise. Everybody in the secondary is six foot plus. Uh, I I think that that shows you where they've done really good on the recruiting trail and and they're preparing for more of an FB, uh, a power five type offense to be playing against more so than just at the G5 level. Now, I think UCF is rightfully in the top 25 teams in the country and and could, like I said, could easily run the table in their own conference.
1: I would love to see them in the playoff. I mean, I don't think it happens, but. Uh, I, I would love to see them in there. I mean, you know, obviously LSU uh, beat the jumping Jesus out of them in, in the <laughs> fiesta ball a couple of years ago, but that was also the beginning of that crazy LSU run that they had with Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards, helaire and, and Jamar chase and company, uh, you know, w- with coach O. So uh, I don't know. It seems like they were playing that team more than they were playing the rest of the 2019 or 2018 Tigers. So, uh, who knows that that was a really good squad, but the number two team we drop uh, down to 24 overall. So still 25, you know, top ranked team here in uh, uh, the AAC and it's the Memphis Tigers, Nick. We got them favored favored in 10 of 11 games, town edges in nine of 11, and their projected wins are just about the same as UCF here. That, uh, you know, hover around eight and a half. So uh, another really good squad in the AAC.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and the way it, it sets up uh, you know, unless UCF, Cincinnati and Memphis uh just sort of, you know, beat each other up a, a bit, I would not be at all surprised if we, you know, don't see a, a rematch in the AAC Championship game between UCF and Memphis. I think they are there are some quality teams in the American. Uh there there are some legitimate top 40 type teams, but but UCF and Memphis are, are kind of a, a step above, I think. And, and, you know, Memphis is a top 25 team, according to our numbers. They barely, barely snuck into the top 25 last year, and, and uh, we think that this team could be even stronger. I mean, now, you know, Kenneth Gainwell, obviously, after having an incredible redshirt freshman season last year, one of the best running backs in all of college football. Uh, Brady White uh, is actually – as far as our projected point spreads go, uh, you know, about a month or, or maybe more ago now, I ran all the numbers to see what quarterback has the biggest impact on our projected point spreads, and the answer is Brady White. The, if Brady White was unavailable, Memphis's uh, you know team strength rating would fall farther than any other team in the country if it lost its quarterback. So uh, he's, I believe, the leading uh, returning passer in the nation and then comes back with, uh, you know, one of the best receivers in the conference in Demonte Coxey. So uh, Memphis, again, is, is going to be very, very good offensively. The offensive line looks pretty good, three returning starters. Uh, they don't, you know, the, the ratings – the, the ranking isn't spectacular. It's, it's 82nd nationally for the offensive line. But I think that that unit probably is a little bit stronger than our numbers give it credit for. So uh, we're talking about a top 20 caliber offense just from a, a talent standpoint. And, and you know that, as far as our numbers go, is, again, really impressive for a group of five uh, program. So Memphis is going to give everybody a lot of trouble offensively. Defensively, they're very experienced. The secondary brings back four starters. Yeah, two starters return on the defensive line, two on uh, the linebacker uh, core. So, you know, th- it, there's a lot of experience there. They did lose a couple of key pieces in Chris Claybooks, the the uh, corner, and uh, you know, Bryce Huff was a hundred rated player according to our numbers. So, did have some some holes that they'll need to fill, but uh, there's really no major weak spot defensively. There might not be an elite unit, but there's no, you know, you can for sure attack this uh, secondary through the air. You can for sure run the football uh, at will. That That's not necessarily going to be the case. You'll certainly have to pick your spot. So Memphis is uh, really, really strong. They are favored, like you said, in all but one game, a virtual toss up on the away uh, on the road game with uh, Cincinnati. They're less than a field goal underdog against UCF. And then they're a favorite uh, in every other game by at least a touchdown. The, the next closest game is uh, 7.2 uh, on the road at, at SMU. So Memphis is, is uh, in my opinion, the clear number two, but a strong number two in the conference. And, and you know, the the only major question I think is, Uh, you know if Mike Norvell were back Mm -hmm. Memphis would have because of his head coach rating uh, would have been right there with UCF UCF would have been still slightly uh, higher rated but because we've got a a first-year head coach they are down a little bit but there is continuity and and, uh, he was on the the staff previously and uh, you know offensively, you would expect things are are going to continue to roll. Ryan Silverfield, who was the offensive line coach the last three years, has been there for four years. And and you expect that there will be uh, some continuity there for sure. So uh, not as big of a a loss, you know, transitioning to a a first-year head coach because I I think they'll be able to to keep a lot of the the same systems in place and and whatnot. But Memphis is going to be very, very tough. Uh, Certainly a a contender to – Win the conference if if you know, maybe they lose to UCF in the regular season knock them off in the championship game Certainly a, a believable scenario. They're they're going to be very very difficult and, and potentially a, a another top 25 team
1: Yeah, I I really like this memphis team Zaviera, uh, Explosive on offense and like nick said a uh, very experienced on defense So should add up to a pretty damn good season for the tigers
2: yeah, I, I really love this team offensively. I think this is probably the most explosive unit in the conference uh, coming back. And, and I really love Brady White with his ability to not only throw the football, but his willingness to run. Uh, I think he showed that a lot last year, that he's not just an in-the-pocket quarterback. And I think that gives him, once again, another dynamic player in their offense that you have to plan for. Um, what I will say is the offensive line, I think, will be better this year. Uh, but like, but they do have some guys in some new spots at right tackle, at left guard. You know, those are positions of of some worry for me, uh, having the lack of games started uh, as the rest of the offensive line does. Neither one of them have started more than five games at left guard or at right tackle, so that is a little bit uh, of a worrisome spot for me. Uh, But, you know, when you surround them around the talent that they had last year, they should be able to fill it in a little bit more seamlessly than if they were coming in just brand new with a brand new offensive line. Uh, Defensively, they're not as deep as a UCF, which is my only other concern in a weird season where fitness may be an issue. The secondary does not have a lot of depth. You know, they they have their they, they have their guys at corner and at safety. But after that, you're really starting to kind of look for guys that you know, have production and have played a lot of games. And I think that might be, like I said, a little bit of a worry spot for me. But other than that, Memphis is a really, really good team. Offensively, they'll be able to play with anybody, Um, you know, but if they do get into stalemates, is their defense going to be able to hold up? Uh, I think they struggled with that last year uh, against teams like Cincinnati. And I think that might be another struggle spot for them this year uh, due to their lack of depth.
1: Now, the next team we got on the list here, uh, is Cincinnati. And it, it's kind of weird. We got them three in the AAC, 35 overall. Uh, you know, team strength rating I- in the mid 80s, you know, just a little bit behind Memphis and UCF. Uh, Favor to win in seven of nine, but talent edges is only five of nine, Nick. So, uh, you know, maybe the conference schedule is not favoring Cincinnati as much as it was before. We only have them projected for just over six wins in their nine games.
0: Yeah, and Cincinnati has been a tricky team for us. And, you know, I certainly – I always – there are teams that stick out to me as as big misses, and last year Cincinnati was one. Our numbers didn't really respect uh, what they did in 2018, thought that, you know, they weren't a a super talented team, even though they were very experienced. And and so we had them middle of the pack in – Uh, the American and and expected the schedule to be really, really difficult. But Cincinnati, you know, certainly proved us wrong. They're one of the, one of the big, uh, you know, prove us wrong teams uh, that we had last year. And, and our numbers are catching up a little bit, but as you pointed out that the talent edges, there are some close ones. I mean, they're, they're, you know, not in a major disadvantage against Uh, SMU or Memphis or or UCF uh, or Houston, who's a a talented team, but they do have a a slight disadvantage in those games. And and they have recruited very well. Uh, I believe this past cycle, the 2020 cycle, Cincinnati had, if not the highest rated G5 class in the history of 247 sports. It it was up there. Uh, So they're bringing in a lot of talent. They're also hitting the transfer portal Pretty hard, Jerome Ford, former Alabama running back is gonna be in the mix to uh, get carries with uh, Jared Dokes. They've got a handful of, of receivers who are uh, former transfers, Jordan Jones, Michael Young. We expect both of those guys to smart, uh, excuse me, to start Jones was at Arkansas. Young was at Notre Dame. Both of those guys have over 20 you know, games of experience on a, a high level, and both of them have starting experience. They brought in a, a graduate transfer – or excuse me, a, a tight end transfer from uh, Michigan State. And then their left tackle, James Hudson, who we may remember from uh, NCAA waiver uh, saga last year after he transferred from Michigan, did get into their bowl game and, and – will pencil him in as the starter at left tackle really should help solidify that unit, which was a, a bit of a, a disappointment if, if there was one for Cincinnati last year. But like I mentioned already, the, the secondary is one of the best really in college football, certainly at, at the G5 level. It's a top 20 unit. As far as our numbers go, it's one spot behind UCF. They've got multiple all conference performers, four starters return plus James Wiggins, who uh, was a starter, but ended up, uh, going out very very early last year with the torn ACL. If he comes back healthy, uh, this is going to be a, a you know one of the top secondaries probably in the country. Statistically, this has an opportunity Cincinnati to be uh, one of the best overall defenses in the country. Uh, Ahmad Gardner, as a true freshman, was an All American type player last year. So uh, they have a a lot of talent, a lot of. Uh, experience in the secondary, the defense as a whole is going to be very, very good. They need Desmond Ritter to step up a little bit at quarterback. He was a slight disappointment as a sophomore after you know being really, really impressive as a redshirt freshman. Needs to be a better passer. He's a good runner. He's a productive runner. Uh, can can certainly pick up yards, but uh, took a little bit of a step back. And of course, he was banged up a bit. So hopefully, a fully healthy Desmond Ritter you know, we'll be able to take his game to the next level, but he's going to need some play, playmakers to step up with Michael Warren gone uh, with a lot of new faces in the receiving core. I'm uh, not a hundred percent sure what the offense is going to look like. And they do have some talent at the quarterback position. Evan Prater is one of the highest rated G5 quarterback signees in history. So uh, Ritter, if he does, you know, uh, fail to step his game up a bit, could see some pressure from, Prater and Ben Bryant so be interesting to see how the offense shakes out but defensively this is about as good as it gets and, and Cincinnati certainly is capable of beating anybody on their schedule it's just a, a pretty tough draw to get SMU and Memphis and Houston and UCF so uh tough tough road but but if the schedule you know goes as its planned, Cincinnati wouldn't shock me if if they get through uh with one loss or, or even undefeated but you know, if the offense doesn't come together, uh, it also wouldn't shock me if if we end the season a, a really strong, competitive Cincinnati team has four losses.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good point to make. Xavier is, uh, you know, a lot of transfers coming in and a lot of talent coming in to Cincinnati. But like we mentioned before, this off season very strange. No practices, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. very few spring games and, and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, it's going to be a tough road for the Bearcats.
2: Yeah, you know, Cincinnati really reminds me. They feel like the G five Iowa to an extent. Uh, this is a team that is going to muddy it up with the high flying offenses that are in this conference, and that's going to be their way that they win ball games. It's going to be grit. It's going to be grimy. Uh, they're going to really, really, you know, lean on their defense to keep them in ball games. Uh, And that's what worries me about them. You know, this, this conference for the most part has some of the best offenses in the country period. Uh, You know, between SMU, UCF, Memphis, you know, even Houston we saw with Derek King and what they could do as an offense. And, you know, they're And Dana Hogerson is going to have that offense ready to go. Like, you need offense in this conference to win games and to win the conference outright. Uh, last year, they really showed that defense can win ball games in this conference. I think they're going to have to do it again. They're going to have to lean on the defense that's opportunistic, that's going to make plays, and that's going to score points because the offense is coming off of a decent year, but they're losing a lot of talent. And it's going to be on the back of Desmond Ritter. And I don't know if he can carry it. I think, Nick, you hit it right on the head. Desmond Ritter has to be more of 2018 than he was 2019. Um, And I think he has to be way better than he was in either of those years uh, for for Cincinnati to have a chance to win the conference this year. Uh, I think he has to be a better passer. He's got to be more dynamic um, in the pocket and and being able to hit some of these younger receivers that he has. Uh, I just think it, You know, in a normal season, I feel a little bit more confident about confidence about the offense um, and their ability to to put up points after a full offseason, after spring practice, after fall ball, all of these things. But with that not being the case this year, even with the transfers, that offense is going to start off sluggish. Um, you know, it's really good to have a really great defense at this point, but the offense is going to think be lagging far behind that defense. And that's what worries me. Uh, Like I said, I think Nick hit around the head. They could easily go 10 and two or 11 and one. They could also easily end up seven and five or eight and four. Uh, and and that's what worries me about this team is how reliant they will be on their defense game in and game out.
1: And SMU and Houston are kind of, you know, they're 51 and 52 ranked, uh, Overall, for uh, all of college football, four and five in the AAC. SMU projected to win nine of eleven games. Talent edges in all eleven. Eleven of eleven uh, projected a seven-game, seven wins for them. For Houston, you know, team strength rating is .2 behind SMU, but they're only favored in half of their games, five of ten. But they have talent edges in seven of ten. But we've got them for right around week. Uh, five wins. Week one uh, game versus Rice has already been postponed, Nick. Uh, so, what do we think between SMU and Houston here?
0: It's interesting. I, I I like that you brought up that they are right next to each other because even though even though I I know that I don't think I really realized it until I heard you say it because in my mind SMU is clearly the better team. Uh, but the way our numbers treat them, Houston is, is almost exactly the same. And, and SMU, I think, you know, from, from, uh, a pure talent standpoint, as you mentioned, they've got the talent edges and, and a lot of that has to do with how much they've gone into the transfer portal. That doesn't always work, but it worked out pretty well for SMU last year. Shane Bouchelle, of course, uh, stepped in, had a, a, an excellent first year as a starter there. Kyle Granson, you know, former Rice tight end uh, became one of the, the most productive tight ends in college football. They've got uh, guys in the secondary that have, have you know, Grew up in Dallas, went somewhere else for a year or two, and it didn't quite work out. Decided to come back and and play a little closer to home, and and just sort of really elevated the the talent pool available. Guys like Chevin Callaway, who we expect to start at safety this year, who was formerly at. Arkansas, you know, just as, as one example. They brought in uh, defensive lineman Michael Williams from Stanford this year. I probably expect him to, to start right away, started 14 games for the Cardinals. So this is a team that on paper or, or on our spreadsheet looks really, really good. Uh, they do have some pieces that they're going to have to uh, replace the running back position. They had two excellent running backs and Xavier Jones and, and uh, Kimon Freeman last season. Uh, they also, of course, had James Prochet, the six-round draft pick at, at Baltimore. Uh, C.J. Sanders was was productive at times. So uh, some weapons will, will certainly need to be replaced offensively, but guys like Reggie Roberson, assuming he's – back in fully healthy, uh, junior college transfer, Danny Gray, Rasheed Rice uh, showed some flashes last year, Tyler Page as well. So there, I think, are, are plenty of options in the passing game. We need to see, you know, are they going to be able to run the football? Uh, they they the, the rumor has it that, you know, Sonny Dykes, now that Rhett Lashley has moved on uh, as the new offensive coordinator at of Miami, Dykes is going to go back a little bit more, you know, closer to the true air raid, the traditional air raid. So maybe that running game doesn't matter quite as much, but, you know, we'll see. It, it'll be interesting. You would like to, I think, take a little bit of, uh, you know, pressure off of Shane Bouchelle to make every play. So if TJ McDaniel, Ulysses Bentley, somebody like that is able to, to step up and, and become a bit of a weapon on the ground, certainly I think will, will be important. Linebacker is a, a position of strength. We already mentioned that they've got some talent. They brought in the other two levels of the defense. So SMU, I think, is is a team capable of beating anybody. I mean, they, they stack up quite well talent-wise, but, you know, they are an underdog against Memphis. They are an underdog against Cincinnati. If they're able to pick up one of those games and avoid any major uh, upsets. I mean, they're, they're only a slight favorite against Tulane, only a slight favorite against Temple, both of those games being on the road. Uh, Houston will be tough. Tulsa's within a touchdown. So they, they play – a lot of things have to go right. But, you know, in, in coin flips, they at least have uh, on paper the, the most talented team. And so that's going to be pretty, pretty uh, important, I think. And so SMU, I think, is maybe a dark horse if somebody could challenge someone unexpected – wins the conference. I think SMU might be my pick, but I, I do think Houston is going to improve quite a bit. Uh, I didn't, I think I don't, I didn't believe Clayton Toon was all that good because uh, <laughs> Derek King, of course, when he was, you know, no longer playing, it, it just seemed like, oh, that's just such a huge downgrade. But in the last few weeks, I have rewatched a couple of Houston games and, and Clayton Toon was relatively impressive. He's he's got to improve uh, his command and accuracy as a passer, but he's more athletic, I think, than I I realized. And uh, talk about talent, Houston, similarly, you know, uh, transfer portal, especially in the secondary, but Marcus Stevenson is is one of the most, probably one of the fastest players in college football, one of the most explosive playmakers as a return man, as a receiver, uh, one of the best weapons, certainly, in this conference. So I want to see him get the ball a lot. And and there's some depth at that receiver position as well. They've got depth at running back. The offensive line is a little bit shaky, but uh, Houston's a team that, you know, maybe depth is a little bit of an issue, mm-hmm. but talent similarly built to SMU through, you know, getting good players locally, but also the transfer portal. Houston's a team that could beat anybody. And I I've said that with, pretty much everybody so far, but but I think it's true. I mean, they've got some really close projected games against BYU. They're a one-point underdog. UCF a 12-point underdog, but, you know, we, like Xavier mentioned, UCF lost some games that she wasn't supposed to last year. Cincinnati will be tough. Houston will be tough. But uh, this is this is a good team, and, and I think a, a talented team. If Clayton Toon uh, takes another step forward as a passer, I think Houston is, is certainly going to be in the mix. Could potentially, you know, ruin somebody's uh, path to a, a conference title. I'm not sure they'll win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're, you know, jump up and, and knock off SMU, get them out of the way, knock off Memphis. Maybe, maybe Houston upsets UCF and keeps them out of the playoff conversation. This is a team that's that's going to ruin somebody's day and, and potentially somebody's season. So I expect them to be much improved uh, compared to what we saw last year.
1: And Xavier, I think the difference between SMU in, in Houston, as far as perception goes, is that SMU is an ascending team. While Houston had all the issues last year with, you know, they wanted guys to stop playing to redshirt for the following year. De'Ara King did that, but he ended up transferring still. Right. So Houston just seems messy mm-hmm. uh, from the outside looking in. Like, you know, Nick said, Clayton Toon probably better than what we uh, expected to have at quarterback. But SMU seems to have, you know, they were hitting on all cylinders, and we just think that they can continue that stuff. So uh, tell me about SMU and Houston for this year for you.
2: Yeah. Well, I I think the biggest difference between both teams is simply just at the quarterback position. I just think that right now, when you look at both units, uh, Shane Bouchel is just, I think at the moment, just far ahead the way better quarterback, which I think is going to be what lends SMU to winning more ball games. Uh, when you look at both teams, they have talent, you know, they're both in the, the you know, both in Texas, which is a talent late state. We all know about high school football in Texas, and they do a really good job. If you guys said to even even supplement that with transfer portal. Uh, I just think that right now SMU, as you put it, Scott is on the ascension, um, where I feel like, we Houston's not on a on a downturn, but I mean, we are a, a bit away from the Ed Oliver Houston team, you know, that that was running buckshot through the conference for, I think, two to three years. So we are a little bit away from that. And I think that you're right. I think when you look at Houston, they do look like a very messy program, but they can win games because they have an offense that's explosive enough. They have a secondary that's, you know, he, that that's veteran leadership. And I think that can really, that's going to bode well for them in a conference that's very pass heavy as well. Uh, but like I said about SMU, I think that Shane Bouchelle is a dark horse candidate, and I know Scott, you might not like this. This guy, I, I think, is going to be a uh, is going to be a draft darling. I just really no, do. I, I, yeah.
1: i all yeah. the best for sure. Yeah. I love him. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: I, I know he's a former Texas guy. You know, I, I didn't know if there was any hostility.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I'm not to good play him over Ellinger, yeah. yeah. But so you know, go go get your starting roll, man. Yeah. Uh, I love it.
2: Yeah, I, I think he he's a guy who's going to put up really good numbers. He had 34 touchdowns last year with over 4,000 yards. I think he does that, if not more, this coming season. And ends up on a lot of draft boards in that, you know, second, you know, late second, early third round. Uh, and and I, I really like SMU from a quarterback standpoint more than I like Houston, which is why I think SMU is going to be a better team and have a better record come the end of the season. I like Clayton Toon. I think he has – a year or two, I think he has a year before he really reaches his peak, uh, I just think Shane Boucher is already there as coming in as a senior.
1: And that's more than fair between these two. But like I said, just surprisingly uh, from the outside looking in, you know, seeing these two teams rank so closely together and just having completely different feelings on them. It's just kind of strange. Uh, but the rest of this uh, conference here, uh, I mean, uh, Tulane uh, favored in seven of 12 games, uh, you know, town edges in seven of those 12. Uh, we have them projected for about seven wins as well. Uh, but temple and you move down here and it all gets ugly, uh, temple who is just slightly behind, I, I believe, you know, 0. 0.4, uh, behind, uh, Tulane schedule is just rougher for them. We got them favored in two of eight town edges in one of eight and projected for just around three wins. Navy, um, we got them uh, favored in four of 10 USF three of nine, two of 11 for Tulsa and one of 10 for East Carolina, Nick. So uh, there's talent with these schools, but it seems like it could be hard for them all to put together decent seasons.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough because the, the top app of this conference is really, really strong. I mean, like I said, UCF, I, I think legitimately could challenge for a playoff spot. Um, memphis is legitimately a top 25 team when all 130 teams are playing so when so when we've got you know uh probably 10 or, or so teams that might be ranked ahead of them sitting out the year they're one of the best teams in college football that we could see this fall potentially mm-hmm. so uh, there's a lot of strength here talent with smu talent with houston tulane is somewhat similar but i think on a, a slightly Lower level, they brought in some some guys uh, from big time programs. About a half dozen transfers, including Michael Jones from uh, Oklahoma. They've got some guys: Oklahoma State, Florida State, Georgia Tech. You know, uh, Patrick Johnson is a, a pass rusher, is a hundred rated player, one of the best uh, in college football, quite honestly. So they've they've got talent, but I don't think that they've got the depth maybe that that the other uh, you know top half of the conference has. Tulane, or excuse me, uh, Temple. Uh, it is really quite uh, striking in how uh, it was a surprise when I saw that they're only favored in two games, only talent edges in one. because this is a team obviously won eight games last year. And I don't think any of us would be shocked if, if they put off a huge upset. I mean, they beat Memphis last year, right? So uh, this is a team that's been very, very competitive. They beat a ranked Maryland also who we thought was good for, for a week, uh, but they've got, Talent. Anthony Russo, I think, is is perhaps uh, one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the conference. One of the best receiving duos in, in the conference for sure. And Jaden Bloom and, and Brandon Mack, and and they always seem to play solid defense. Uh, they've got an, an all uh, conference type performer at defensive tackle. I'm completely going to butcher it, but uh, I fini Mage. My apologies, but you know Temple <laughs> Temple always plays. Tough defense, I guess, as, as they like to say. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be a, a thorn in the side type team, but but perhaps a team that just talent wise, depth wise, maybe doesn't stack up quite as well. So I think 500 is a reasonable goal for them. They're probably, you know, as we mentioned, have to pull off a couple of upsets to get there. Uh, but they're certainly capable. Navy, our our numbers have have a, a difficult time uh, with Navy. Last year we missed on them a bit, uh, but uh, Malcolm Perry, because he was so highly rated, he was about a hundred rated player at the start of the season. Certainly was at the end. Uh, helped us, you know, cover some some gaps that we might otherwise miss when relying relying pretty heavily on recruiting ratings. Because of course Navy uh, recruits basically only two stars, or you know, pretty much only signs two stars. So that's that's tough for our. Uh, our numbers. And it's certainly tough when they're starting over at the quarterback position. We don't know what to expect from Perry Olson. I'm really intrigued that Chance Warren, who's been a a wide receiver, didn't even really play much quarterback in high school, but he's going to get apparently a a real shot to win that quarterback job. So that's, that's really interesting guy who's thrown some passes on trick plays in the past and and been a guy, uh, you know, he's, he might not be as dynamic as Malcolm Perry, but he's, he's somebody that, you know, can bring maybe a little bit more of that element than a Perry Olson, who uh, I was reading something earlier this week that Perry Olson has, has had some difficulty adapting to, uh, you know, the practice field and carrying things over. So I think there really is, uh, you know, kind of a wide open situation there for somebody like Chance Warren to, to, you know, go in and, and perhaps uh, win that job and, and bring some playmaking ability that, that, they're really, really going to miss without Malcolm Perry. They did lose quite a bit of of, uh, uh, talent through the transfer portal defensively. Jake Springer went to Ole Miss as a 90-rated player. They were able to bring back Michael McMorris, who's one of the best corners in uh, the AAC, who entered the transfer portal but came back. But it'll be interesting to see, as always. Navy's got, you know, a lot of uh production to replace and they do a pretty good job most years of doing it last year they took a, a huge huge step forward defensively they're going to be another team that gives you know everybody a, a very difficult day but our numbers just don't don't love them so I wouldn't be surprised if they fall back closer to 500 the the rest of the division I, I think there's, some reason to be optimistic about UCF or excuse me, USF long-term with the move to Jeff Scott. I think there's reason to be optimistic about East Carolina. They've got certainly some weapons on offense. And I think Mike Houston, his track record at James Madison makes you think that they're going to be able to, to be competitive sooner rather than later. Tulsa has been very, very tricky because they won 10 games, what three or four years ago, Mm -hmm. but the last few have been very, very disappointing. And it seems like Philip Montgomery probably, uh, is lucky to still have that job as, as head coach. So uh, neither, of you know, none of those three, I, I think, are going to be a major threat. Though I think we will see some improvements from East Carolina, USF, Tulsa. I think I'm still sort of wait and see, but uh, they've got some talent again, especially on on offense with a transfer quarterback uh, now in his second season, Zach Smith, and then Shamari Brooks, Keion Stokes. Offensively, they're they're going to give some teams some trouble, but uh, you know. These teams probably aren't aren't really going to challenge, but uh, the the AAC I think as a whole is very strong. Uh, certainly compared to other you know G five conferences, I think it's pretty clearly the best one, uh, and I think they've got a legitimate you know conversation uh, to be had, a legitimate argument to push. You know, the AACC maybe as far as overall strength, top to bottom. Uh, and, and, you know, we've seen the Pac-12 be a little bit disappointing as well. And so I think they're in that mix. I don't think there's a huge gap between the, the you know, P5 and, and, as they like to say, the P6 conference and the AAC. There's some really good teams here, some really good players. And it'll be interesting if we get to see them on a little bit bigger Stage, uh, without you know, two of the, the P5 conferences playing this fall,
1: yeah. I mean, Xavier, the back half of, of this conference is you know, like uh, Nick mentioned, not uh, favored to win a bunch of games, but there is a lot of talent on these teams here. Who who do you like, and what are your thoughts on this back half of the AAC? Yeah,
2: so I, I'll be brief because I got a quick rant to go on, uh, about one of these, <laughs> uh, but but I really like. I think Tulane is one of these teams that was really weird last year. You know, the first five games they started five and one uh, and they kind of just, you know, nosedive towards the end of the year. But I think that was due to the fact that they actually were playing competition that were better than them towards the back half. And so I really feel like the schedule change that they've had to do and had to go into now with the, the coronavirus, it's really going to hurt them as far as from a winning standpoint. I think they're a team that, Could win about three to four games, uh, but out of their 12, I don't see them making it to another bowl game. I just think that there's too much of a talent edge that the rest of the conference has, uh, and I'll get to that in in just a second. When it comes to Temple, this is a team that reminds me a lot of Cincinnati without the offensive talent. Uh, Temple was a team that won on defense. That's how they got it done. If I'm not mistaken, they won a game last year that was like 13 to 10. You know they don't win pretty. They don't, you know, put up a lot of points. They could
1: it, have that offensive talent this year, though. Yeah,
2: they, they absolutely could. Uh, but I, but we we know that their defense is what because it's what they're gonna put their hat on and what they're gonna have coming to to play week in and week out. Uh, I just don't know, and that's the biggest thing with these guys. I don't know yeah, if their yeah. offense is gonna come to play this year. I know that that defense is gonna be somebody that you have to contend with on every snap, but the offense, you know punching the ball six times a game is going to leave you vulnerable at some point defensively with Navy, Malcolm Perry's gone. I just think that they're losing too much production offensively from him leaving uh, mm-hmm. to, 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 Special to,
1: player. Yeah. You know, he, he was, yeah. yeah.
2: And you don't fi- get one of those every single year when you're at a Navy, you know, Nick, you hit it right on the head. The way, the, way, the way that they recruit, it's like every two or three years, they get a guy and they come in, he balls out and they give him a chance to win nine or 10 games. With him gone, I don't see anybody right now that's going to take his role immediately.
1: Uh, was there uh, anyone in between Keenan Reynolds and Malcolm Perry? Uh, Zach Ab- Abney, Abby, uh, Abby. Okay, mm-hmm. you're right. You're right. I was so, just wondering, did they go straight AB? from? Yeah, Abby. Mm-hmm. That's who it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So I just don't think that the the production offensively will be there for them this year to make up for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Nick has been scared straight out of USF. This is a team that. Last year we had, I think, winning eight or nine games. Yeah, and 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 I think that, you know, this USF team is talented. They've got the same talent, in my opinion, close to of anybody else in the in the conference. My only issue with USF is, I I, I'm not blaming you, Nick. I'm a little scared on them too. I'm a little timid when it comes to picking them as one of as a team that could you know win most of their games, but. You know they only they're playing Memphis, US, UCF, and, and Cincinnati. But you look at the rest of their schedule. They play Eastern Carolina. They play Tulsa. They play Navy. They play Temple. Could they win all four of those ball games and, and get to themselves to a, a six-win season, a five or six-win season? Absolutely. With the talent that they have on their ball club, I just think no. I just think we've been scared a little bit because last year we had USF as one of these teams that could really run the table, and they pooped the bet. So I think that you know, that, that was that, kind of one of those
0: situations. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I I totally glossed over that. I mentioned that we missed so badly on Cincinnati, but USF really missed. I, I <laughs> uh, and I learned some lessons. I think I think USF actually taught me. Uh, you know, made some changes based on how um, USF. You know, not not. It wasn't just because of them, but mm-hmm. but you know some some lessons that they showed perhaps. Uh, we were overweighting experience a little bit, especially with some of the the transfer guys and and things like that. And you know they had a, a big time you know power five transfer quarterback mm-hmm. at running back, and so that was that was lifting up. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think USF, if memory serves, we had them favored over uh, Wisconsin in Week One, which uh, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. lost mm-hmm. what fifty to nothing or something. So. I think they lost. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. So sad. yeah, yeah, USF was definitely a. Uh, 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 a downer for us, but SMU we did really well on. But yeah, uh, we learned we learned a little bit from from USF. You're, you're right to bring that up, rightly so. Don't let me forget that because certainly. Well, I, I mean,
1: you're not the us. only one that was wrong on USF. So yeah. is USF. That's why they fired their coach. You know, so I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And and to just wrap it up, I think I think you're right. I think Tulsa is a team that I I want to say is going to get back to the glory days from about three or four years ago, but I can't say that right now. They just don't have that trajectory about them. That tells me that Tulsa next year is going to make a step in the right direction. They might be stagnant and make a similar step and and be linear again. uh, And maybe they play better, but don't have the same results. But that's what I'm looking for, for Tulsa next year is how well do you play? Not necessarily your record Uh, with Eastern Carolina. It's kind of the different. I I want to see them get better record wise uh, because they played, in a lot of games last year, they were in a lot of ball games. They just could not ever finish a single one of them, uh, which is why they had the record that they did. But to say East Carolina last year was a bad football team, I think would be going a little bit too far. And I think that would, you know, when you look at purely just record, you know, that's taking that's not taking into the count, uh, you know, the, the close ball games that they played. I mean, you know, they lost to Cincinnati by three. They lost to SMU by eight. You know, these are teams that finish at the top half of the conference that they're barely losing to. Uh, So I think that, you know, Eastern Carolina, I want to see those close games turn into wins for them next year.
1: You're saying that no longer will quarterbacks be hitting their hand with a hammer to try to get out of playing for them. Right. Yeah. You you did hear that story about Gardner Minshew, right? That's what he was trying to do. Uh, So uh, yeah, they're better than that. So uh, uh, that is, that is it. For this week uh so we we've got i think are we done with conference previews at this point I, I think we're out of conferences now aren't we
0: yeah i mean we we haven't really talked to there are three teams we haven't talked about really liberty army and new mexico state because we we hit on byu a little bit and, and of course notre dame
1: we hit army's the good and the other two stuff. see i did that Yeah, you.
0: there you go so other than that we, we might carve out a, a few minutes to talk about those uh if if we're able to uh, talk about actual college football in, in the coming weeks. But yeah, we, we got to sort of figure out a figure out a schedule from here on out of what we're going to be talking about. It's going to be read
1: and react, you yeah, know, from, from sure. this point on that, sure. that's, that's what it's going to be. So we will, we'll will be back. And Nick has mentioned this to the Patreon subscribers and to anyone here. We're going to be doing a weekly show and uh, whether there's college football or not, because there's always stuff to talk about in the college football world So, you know, it may be a while till we get the games, you know, depending on what these conferences all end up deciding. Looks like we're at least going to try to play some games. So we'll be previewing games. It seems like somewhat soon, but uh, we're not going to write it in stone yet until we get there. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed from all of us. So, uh, but that (laughs) is going to do it for us. We'll wrap it up here. Remember, you can find us on the Twitter Uh, For Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, find him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. For Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And for me, at Bogman Sports. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. (laughs)